welcome to Luxury On Air, where we explore the trends, innovations, and personalities defining and redefining the luxury industry. Dear listeners, welcome to the new podcast, Luxury On Air, the podcast about trends, innovations, and personalities defining and redefining the luxury industry. I'm Christina D'Agostino, founder and editor-in-chief of Luxury Tribune, the new digital media dedicated to the luxury industry. We publish articles that analyze trends and business in the luxury sectors, thanks to our journalists around the world. And today, I have the great honor of hosting the first episode of this podcast. And my guests today are the hosts of the upcoming episodes, Felicitas Morart and Karin Chekedi, a warm welcome to you both. Hello, it's a pleasure being here. Hello from my side as well. Hi, both of you. So let's start our conversation. Felicitas, I have a question for you first. You are a professor of marketing at HEC Lausanne and founder of the Swiss Center for Luxury Research. So what exactly do you do at that research center? So uh, this uh, Swiss Center for Luxury Research uh, basically unites luxury researchers and experts from currently 11 top academic institutions in Switzerland. And we try to build a hub for thought leadership on the future of luxury management. And how do we do that? Uh, Basically, we do research, both applied and profoundly academic. Um, We create tailor-made and general teaching programs for companies, but of course, also for students. And we do conferences, workshops, and talks, uniting business practice, students, and media representatives. Karine, you are a partner and a member of uh, the management team of Deloitte Switzerland. You also lead the consumer goods industry practice, and uh, you are particularly involved in the fashion and luxury industry too. So uh, on your side, what luxury topics do you primarily work on? Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, we have uh, our consumer practice in Switzerland, but we do have as well the dedicated center of uh, excellence for fashion and luxury in Milan. Uh, we work with them a lot. And then we do some research on retail and consumer in uh, the UK as well. We have a center of excellence. I would say in Switzerland, we are more focused on the watch industry, where we publish annually the Swiss watch industry study. And we do throughout the year um, uh, interview watch executives to fully understand uh, the changes in the watch market. You decided to launch together a podcast on luxury topics. Um, Please let us know how this idea came about. Yeah, so I think uh, two minds in sync met here. We have uh, the same interests, the same passions, uh, probably also the same visions on the topic of luxury. And uh, especially for me as an academic, it's also very important to keep in touch with the real life, with real companies, with uh, real business people. And uh, Deloitte, as a research company, which is very much focused on business reality, that is the perfect partner for us to get in touch with real life. So maybe to complement on that, I think uh, when uh, research meets meets business, uh, it's it's quite an interesting combination. We do work on very uh, forward-looking topics as well at Deloitte on digitalization, customer 360, e-commerce, blockchain, pre-owned. And I think the podcast idea was that we see more and more people, they're not ready to spend more time in front of their screens or uh, reading some research or some publications. They want to listen this while they're doing their, their jogging, while they're in the car or commuting. And the idea of the podcast to make this much more um, 
forward-looking and dynamic. Mm -hmm. uh, terrific. So I, I heard that uh, you will have uh, some experts, visionaries, entrepreneurs, and successful business leaders uh, from the luxury goods industry in your in your podcast. What topics can you your listeners expect in next episodes? Yeah, so we have um, we have a good blend of academics and business. Um, in, in the business space, we will we are hosting um, podcasts on sustainability to see how important sustainability is in the luxury market currently. We will be speaking as well about the new retail emerging markets and how the shift towards digitalization is there. So I think that's that's from the business side. Yeah, and from the academic side, we have some exciting researchers with terrific topics. So uh, we have an episode, for example, on liquid luxury, and we will, of course, decipher what this means uh, in, in current times. Um, we will also have an expert on the evolutionary function of luxury consumption. So what do people signal through their luxury consumption to the other gender? We also have um, topics around art and aesthetics, and especially also on authenticity and luxury branding, all from an academic and research side. Yeah, so before starting to dive deeper into uh, those luxury trends, let's have a quick overview at the past year, 2020. Globally, it proved to be a very tough year for the luxury industry, with an average decline of about 20%. But not all the luxury sectors struggled the same. Uh, Karine, can you identify for us the ones that struggled the most and why? Yes, indeed, Christina. It was a very challenging year especially for those who are selling in retail, shops have been opening and closing and opening and closing in various regions. There was of course a big shift in consumer behavior and not and travel stopped. So I, of course, when you ask um, which uh, sectors struggled the most, it's travel retail and it's the perfume and, uh, and cosmetics business that is uh, very much attached to travel retail that suffered the most. Uh, but we see as well that there was some um, good resilience on fashion and leather goods. What we see, wine and spirits. Of course, 2020 was difficult. No restaurants, no parties, no events. Uh, so wines and spirits have, have had quite a, quite a tough year. And if we speak more on watches and jewelry, um, we see in, um, I mean, we have the numbers of course published by the Swiss uh, Watch Federation. In value, the watches went down by 22%, but in numbers of watches, 33%, showing a clear um, shift towards luxury watches. Um, and we know that this, this decline in the watch uh, industry sales has been offset partly by jewelry, but overall it was a tough year. The bright side of it is that the last quarter of 2020 from October to December was very good. And the first quarter of 2021 is excellent in the luxury industry. Excellent. And have you seen any positive feedback too uh, from the Watches and Wonders Digital that uh, just uh, closed a few weeks ago? I think what was interesting in the, in the Watches and Wonders um, event was it had such a broad reach. In the end, when it is physical, the guests are invited. There was one open day for the public, but it's often the people that are already interested in watches. Making this event digital has allowed uh, the brands to have a much further reach, uh, not only to the press, but to the general public. Globally, one of the feedbacks is still from the watch brand CEOs, all said, hope to see you in person next year because the personal interactions are still missing. Yeah, hopefully. Um... 
Okay, so despite these big issues for the um, for the, the watch uh, sector and the luxury industry in, in globally, uh, some positive trends, as you said, Karine, emerged since the beginning of the pandemic, as, for example, more sustainable concerns. Uh, Felicitas, let's think positive for a while. What are, um, in your opinion, uh, the other positive trends emerging in, uh, in this uh, luxury sector? Hmm. I love your approach to think positive for a while, um, because I think every crisis has potential to bring out very good things if people open their eyes and try to, to learn from what we live through now. Um, what I'm seeing is a lot of slowing down in people's lives, not forcefully when it comes to the daily business of juggling a home office and homeschooling and all these things that are busy on our minds. But in total, we were forced to slow down because we can't move that much. Uh, we have actually more uh, time to re or we need to take the time to rethink uh, a couple of things of how we lead our lives. So I think the whole process of rethinking life and taking the time because we have to we have been kicked out of our comfort zone and we all knew some things need to change and especially um, taking the frenzy out of our busy lives and slowing down that is something that we can see um, then as a matter of fact of course health um, not only COVID related of course but the sensibility for um, health-related issues has definitely increased, as have increased the importance of social relationships and social betterment. Um, I think all the developments that we see around the world, around social responsibility, for example, uh, have been brought about by people's consciousness about how important it is now to keep up our relationships because we miss people. We miss the human touch. We miss the human relationships that we are normally um, used to. And uh, we also see that there is a big scissor opening up between people who are living this whole COVID crisis better than others. There are some people who are struggling more than others and people start to becoming more responsible towards each other. They help more each other. They have a clearer view on who are the people who are in need, who are the people that we need to thank for their engagement, for their commitment to helping society. So this is definitely a very good trend. Um, another trend that um, comes with that in, in, in my perception is also people's upcoming or flourishing need for artistic edification for beauty and creativity. What I found very interesting was that museums, for example, they were uh, one of the few institutions that were opened up very soon again. Um, and here in the, uh, in the Olympic Museum, for example, I live just close by. It's very nice to see so many people coming and visiting and looking around, taking the time to just getting inspired by the achievements of other people in, in earlier years. So I see um, a lot of value consciousness of the things that are really important in life. And to bring that all together, I would say it is a move from extrinsic values to intrinsic values.
Mm-hmm, you're right, Felicitas. And we can see this in uh, also this uh, trend uh, shifting in the fashion industry, isn't it, Felicitas? We, we have seen some brand state statements saying that they want to slow down a bit the collections approach and they want to just release two collections per year. You mentioned one time uh, an example in the fashion industry with this uh, British designer, isn't it? This, Mr. Uh, G.W. Anderson, uh, can you just give me more details about it? Well, um, I think and uh, that has also been publicized by Armani, for example, that the, the big creators in the industry, they have been under enormous pressure because uh, the real um, creators of fashion houses of the big maison, um, they are in a totally creative job and speed and pressure is the killer of any creativity. I see that in my own work as a researcher, which is also a highly creative process. When you're under pressure, you cannot come up with really brilliant ideas. So the the need of the high fashion creators was definitely to come back to this uh, this space and the time to come up with these great creations. and. Um, what we see is that the crisis taking off the pressure of fashion shows because they just couldn't take place gave them the need and the space to become creative again. Um, yeah, but I think digital uh, digital uh, e-commerce helps a lot uh, nowadays uh, during this uh, pandemic crisis. Uh, speaking about this global digital retail shift, uh, Karim, do you forecast a worldwide consolidation in uh, the post-pandemic era? Very interesting question, Christina, indeed. So I think it's, what we believe is that the more that uh, consumers get used to a certain buying pattern and the more the, the, the behavior is, is, an, is, a, is, an, is a nice experience or the, the, the shop, online shopping is, is a nice experience, the behavior will stick. And we have seen, I mean, it's it's online, of course, online purchases, but it's as well click and collect. It's all the new ways of doing business. and. If you look at the uh, the numbers published by the big fashion houses, online has just saved their year last year and is really booming in the, in the first quarter in 21. Um, I mean, Caring has, has reported e-commerce being up 108% uh, in, in, and is now 14% of retail. Uh, we know that for Richemont, it's already 20% of retail. Uh, LVMH says very strong in retail. So it's everywhere. And when we think that in luxury, the, the most important consumer is the Chinese consumer. And that we know that in China, the, the best hub to buy luxury is of course, Alibaba's luxury pavilion Timo, where you have over 200 luxury flagships, then it's a, t- it's a trend to stay. Um, for example, I mean, if you take Timo, the luxury pavilion, uh, the sales went up 159% on the first quarter of 21 versus the first quarter of 20. And the Chinese consumers being very digital and having this uh, ease of being able to buy everything towards mobile devices, uh, this is definitely a trend that is here and it is here to stay. And the the statements that luxury won't sell online, why would I put 40,000 for a watch uh, that I've never been able to try or to see? This is not a, it's, it's not an argument anymore. Luxury cars sell online. There is no reason, that, reason sorry, that other luxury um, goods wouldn't sell online. Uh, but do you see this kind of um, evolution in each sector, really? Because uh, I remember that the watch uh, industry was uh, quite reluctant to this uh, e-commerce um, uh, selling. So now this 20% is uh, for every sector? 
20% in lead force for every sector. When we did our latest watch study, um, the finding was that the watch executives thought that 70% uh, of the future watch sales would still happen in store. Um, but it, that means as well that 30% of the watch sales over time will happen online, which is not the case yet. Uh, to, in, in, if you look at the numbers that I just mentioned, so there's a large progression still in the in the watch sales as well. Of course, the retail and the, the outlets, retail outlets are very important. But if you go online, there are so many markets and so many more consumers that you can reach, and the hurdle of buying a luxury item online is no longer there for most of the consumers. But what is uh, uh, quite interesting to see too, if we can stay a bit more on the watchmaking industry, is that brands so important as Rolex, they for now never go on e-commerce. What's your what's your opinion on on that? Well, there is uh, some um, brands that we can we can state Patek Philippe uh, um, for their own sales. Rolex or Chanel have decided not to go online yet because that's not the DNA um, of the company. And Rolex still being the most successful uh, watch company in the world. Um, I believe that sooner or later, all the brands will, will go online. We have seen Rolex very late on social media, but when they came on social media, they were really ready. They were top notch and had really a great social media presence. Mm. Um, to stay a bit more on, on this digitalization um, era, uh, Felicitas, luxury brands are more and more interested in investing in virtual reality or artificial intelligence. Uh, we have seen that during this pandemic, uh, brands like Dior or IWC uh, released apps that can give the consumer the opportunity to try on the item virtually. Uh, do you believe those trends will be booming in the next few months and for what type of consumer? That's a tricky question and I'm really trying to wrap my head around that. I, I think it depends a lot on the technology you're looking at. Um, you had mentioned virtual reality, and for me, there is a big difference if it's just a gimmickry, uh, something which is, you know, just nice to have, but it's uh, more a gamification thing or more an enjoyment thing, but that could lose its value pretty soon if there is not a real added value in it. Um, why do I say that? I think um, in total technology, if it is just gimmickry, might detract from a luxury brand's authenticity because luxury brands are grounded in historical locations, human relationships, material sensation, but this might be diluted through increased virtuality. At the same time, if it's used properly, virtual reality could be proactively used to somehow celebrate a brand's history or propel it even into the future through the use of multimedia presentation or a real, you know, a, a somehow 3D world as substitute for traditionally museum style product exhibitions. And uh, I could also imagine that technologically enhanced retail, uh, what we see a lot, for example, with Burberry um, in London, in their flagship store, that might intensify consumers' personal experience with the brand and increase their immersion in the whole brand universe. So it always depends on what is the use that you make out of this uh, technology. Now, when we talk about uh, AIs or artificial intelligence, uh, here I have a little bit of a different view because for me, 
big data analysis. So when you talk about um, AI in you know analyzing consumer data or preferences or uh, needs and behaviors, uh, I think that is very much hooked in FMCG techniques of deciphering the market and coming up with products that please people or that, that will be adapted by the market. But in, from my impression, this is somehow against the DNA of luxury brands because it might disenchant the brand's symbolic power by depriving the brand of its more intuitive, mysterious and artistic independent soul. You know what I mean? Luxury brands, they are the tastemakers who educate consumers and not the other way around. And uh, if I use AI produced insight to create uh, uh, new products or to come up with things that that uh, please customers, for me, that's a little bit running after customers instead of taking customers on your journey. So if you use AI, I would rather look at in which part of the customer journey does that really make sense and for me it would be rather after sales uh, maybe to increase a better use experience or uh, to make people come back or to respond better to their needs but after the sales but the taste making function of a luxury brand that is something purely creative and uh, not explainable through um, algorithmic models in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But one of the other virtual hot topic now is uh, uh, the emerging trends of the non-fungible token trends. Uh, we can see that NFTs emerging in art, in luxury. Uh, Karin, uh, in your regards, could you tell us why the luxury sector is going mad for these NFTs? Yes, it's a super trendy um, question, Christina. Uh, and I think it's, it's fascinating because, yes, uh, luxury is moving more and more into technology. We have seen that now more and more brands are starting to use um, the blockchain uh, to track and trace uh, their luxury items. Uh, for example, we've seen um, uh, Aura being announced as a, as a consortium between several brands. We have seen as well Ariane being one of the solutions that is being used in luxury um, in the luxury industry. And this is more for track and trace. Knowing now that, uh, for example, an investment, if you buy a Birkin handbag or you buy a, um, a Batman Rolex, this is almost an investment. You want to make sure that your investment is in secure hands. And as such, it, you can use uh, the blockchain and the NFT as its twin uh, to make sure that is, this is uh, insured and that you hold it. On the other side, it's um, there is some... Um, ideas as well in how to use NFTs in luxury. For example, I think the, the, the funny example is that Gucci has launched its virtual Gucci campaign where you can buy um, an NFT Gucci shoe, which is individual, uh, but it's, it's only you have this model, but it will never exist physically. It's only an NFT and you can buy it very cheaply, you know, less than uh, about $9, $9 to $12 on the Gucci app or on the Wena app. So here, this is already ideas how to play around with NFT, which is not a very um, distinctive. I mean, it's its first price event. On the other side, what I thought interesting is as well, um, for example, um, uh, Jean-Claude Biver has, has taken one of his own uh, Hublot watches and started to do a public auction with the watch and its digital twin. And this, um, this auction was launched end of March this year, so very, very freshly. And here they worked as well with a blockchain company where they have a, a specific um, mean. Because what is difficult, of course, is the blockchain on one side. But how do you have that? What is the physical anchor that links the blockchain 
to the object itself. And there as well, it's always questions, do we put a chip in a watch? Do we put a chip in a handbag? It's very difficult huh, to, to make sure that the, the object is linked to the, uh, to the blockchain. So I think we will see more of that because luxury likes um, to be uh, items to be the unique, to be secured, and it's looking more and more into technology. So as such, I think um, we will see more of that in the luxury industry. Felicitas, uh, staying on these NFT trends, uh, how do you def- decipher these trends? As is it really this what we call luxury democratization? Uh, wow, yeah, um, I think this is an exciting topic, um, as Karine mentioned, very timely. Um, I I feel there is a movement behind which is a little bit anti-establishment. Um, because this whole technology scene is something that not many people understand. Um, so I, I think it is, it goes into the direction of um, you need to be a connoisseur to, to understand what this all means. But this is another range of people who comes in here or, or another segment. Won't it be also the, the, the chance for consumers uh, to spend less money than, uh, for example, a real watch, to spend only a few francs, but having the chance to uh, to have a virtual uh, Hublot or a virtual uh, other brand on the wrist or a virtual wrist? Uh, is, it, is it not democratization of luxury too here? Um, I would say... You, you could take it as democratization if you only look at the price, which is lower, which would allow people to, um, to buy more of these uh, virtual items. On the other hand, if you don't see the value in it, um, then it, it, it doesn't make sense for those people. So for me, as I just mentioned, I think you need to be a somehow connoisseur to get the immaterial value and the just the aesthetic value or the personal value of that to uh, understanding that this is still worth money because $9 for some non-existent thing might be quite a lot of money for some people. Um, but here it's a change in, in mindset, what you value in your life. And if it's something immaterial that goes into an advanced form of luxury that you're even spending money on something that does not exist. And probably this is the next step of where luxury is taking us, that it's becoming more transcendent and even not uh, tangible anymore, what we are regarding as a luxury experience. Mm. I, I'm sure the, 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 the brands are already spending money and investing money on those virtual worlds too. But let's see, um, going back to something that is much more uh, positive for, let's say, it's sustainability. And sustainability is key today among young generation. Um, one of the shift in mindset is the sharing economy. And uh, if I can just uh, ask you, Felicitas, what are the new business trends related to this new way of consuming? Yeah, the sharing economy is a poster child of, uh, I would say, the 20, uh, 21st century for the smart consumer. So we see a luxury rental, swapping, sharing, a secondhand, or it's uh, more uh, euphemistically taken, pre-owned or pre-loved. This is uh, all taking off at the moment. 
Um, because as I just mentioned, it is a signal of being a smarter consumer. So not owning more and having stuff packed up in your closet, even if it's Gucci bags or um, Hermes bags, um, it's more this kind of smart consumer who can access things whenever he or she just likes likes it. So the, the access to variety, we call that neophilia, the, 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 the uh, wanting to have new stuff all the time as it comes out, having it instantly. This is all possible through the sharing economy. So um, the, the smart consumer does not want to undergo the burden of owning and storing that stuff in their um, maybe small apartments and locking their money in their closets. But it's um, it's it's not the luxury for the poor. It's more the luxury for the smart people. And this uh, strikes a chord, especially with the millennial generation, who is by itself a generation that, of course, wants to do things differently than the generation before. Uh, Karin, just to uh, to to um, to listen to this pre-owned uh, uh, market and especially the the, the pre-owned in the watch industry. I was discussing with uh, the um, the founder of uh, Watchfinder a few weeks ago, and he told me that the second markets will help a lot the primary market in sales. What do you think of that uh, possible trends too, Karin? It's an interesting statement, and I, I think I would agree because we see that the, this, the, the pre-owned market in the watch business is growing faster uh, than the primary market. And if you are successful in the pre-owned market, you will be more successful in the primary market. Example, if you buy a watch, let's say 10,000 Swiss francs, and once you walk out of the store, it's only worth 5,000, then you might be hesitant to buy this, this watch in the primary market. Other brands, we know that there is like the top five that are very, very much, uh, very successful on, on the secondary market. They, when you buy the watch, you have a premium, when you buy it new, you have a premium on, on the pre-owned market. And in watch auctions, they get crazy prices out of it. So it's becoming an investment. But as well, these brands that are well performing on the pre-owned market will be much more successful on the, on the primary market because it will be more desirable. And we see as well, it's, if the market is more dynamic, uh, more people are getting interested in it. You will have more buyers and the, the population that is interested in, in, in uh, luxury watches will grow. So it's, a, it's really a win-win situation and makes the market much more liquid. This pandemic has, um, has gave us a lot of uh, trends and shifts trends. So one of the other would be, uh, in my opinion, the, 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 the new focus on health and wellness. And um, I wanted to hear from you, Karine, uh, what are the biggest opportunities for luxury uh, on that side too, on health and wellness? Yes, I think, th thanks for asking this, Christina, because we all need more health and wellness uh, working from home, most of us. Uh, we see that we are, if we're not vigilant with ourselves, we can easily uh, spend too much time sitting in front of screens and not taking care of ourselves. So I think one of the big trends that we see as well for the luxury industry is the focus that you have to take yourself for your own health and wellness. Meaning that, for example, the luxury brands have, have um, need to understand their consumers and their new needs. We see a tendency to be, have more comfortable clothes, for example. Um, luxury, top luxury brands are now focusing in something that you can wear easily. And we see as well that the, the clothing is moving more away from formal dressing, um, uh, ties, suits, to something that is more casual, but still very, very smart. We see as well that 
consumers need to take care of their own health, as I said, meaning that um, the five trends that we would see in luxury is wellness retreats that are becoming more and more important to get out of the house and to take care of yourself, home workouts, fitness classes of a certain standing. A lot of people, when they have uh, the luxury of being able to do it, would invest in their own coach. And another interesting tendency is the biohacking. Understand more about your personal needs by blood tests, fitness trackers, to then be able to, to go to the five, fifth trend, which is the bespoke fitness and nutrition. We have seen very large companies like, for example, Nestle investing as well in um, Mindful Chef, which is a, is a, is a direct-to-consumer business where uh, chefs are preparing food that you are getting delivered home and that you can do yourself. And again, to the point that um, Felicitas mentioned earlier, where you have biofood, you have zero waste, um, you, um, it, some, um, some of the money is donated to child. So putting everything together in a larger perspective in this sustainable, ethical, and very responsible world. Mm, you're right. I think, I think the, the health will be the new wealth. Exactly. Can, yeah. can, I, can I just add something on that? Is Because I thought it was interesting. Just recently this year, uh, Michelin has awarded a vegan restaurant, the first Michelin star. Uh, the restaurant is called ONA, Origine Non Animale, and it's only four years old. And it's a very young homemade uh, chef, uh, Claire Vallée in France, that got the first Michelin star for a vegan restaurant, meaning again, vegan is now a tendency where you take care of your health. And uh, Michelin has as well awarded a green star to this restaurant. And this is a new award that Michelin has introduced um, to celebrate eateries that have a strong moral compass and governed by good ethics. So this clearly states that in every area, we see a shift towards ethics and, and, and responsible business. Mm, interesting. That, that leads me to the following questions, Felicitas. You state that since the beginning of the pandemic, you explore a new phenomenon called homo luxus. Can you please define this concept for us? <laughs> yeah, the homo luxus, of course, we coined that in reference to the famous homo economicus. Um, so while the homo economicus is a very rational, calculating and outward facing creature, um, we think the homo luxus is uh, this inward focused creature that we have been talking a lot about already um, throughout this, this talk. So this creature prefers rather to indulge in aspirations that go well beyond mere material consumption, um, but indulges more into things like quality time, well-being, spirituality, transcendence, so everything that Karine has just uh, referred to. And uh, I mean, indeed, today we have the luxury of making a luxury object of ourselves, of designing ourselves, of recreating ourselves in a better version. So the homo luxus invests in himself or herself. I call it the, the project me, um, somehow creating a self-optimized luxury personality, body, or even mind. So, and everything that goes with that. So stuff that uh, Karine mentioned, like uh, self-optimization in terms of health, but also mental fitness, um, coaches. You can have a coach for everything right now in your life if you have the money to afford it. In, um, in one of the recent Deloitte reports, uh, it was mentioned that consumers expect to continue to cocoon, um, to do online shopping and to avoid exposure in the post-pandemic era. 
Why will this trend continue, uh, in your opinion, and uh, in what consequences? Uh, yes, I don't know if this is a, as, as good news because this means that the pandemic is not over and that we are probably uh, continuing to suffer from this and, and have the uh, consumer behaviors changing for good, probably. Um, we at Deloitte, we are doing indeed um, a consumer survey where we do survey in a lot of countries, um, the consumer sentiment. And we are updating this now, if, if before it was weekly during the very hot um, um, first and second wave, you're now updating this monthly. And we've seen in the latest edition, that's just a few weeks ago, that um, the consumers still do not feel safe uh, to go, for example, to take a flight or to attending a, a, an in-person event. So 24% of the consumers only feel safe to attend an event. And if you see that only 37% of the consumers feel confident to go to a restaurant or a bar. And when we see that only 54% feel safe to go to a store, this means that half of the population still does not feel comfortable either to go to a restaurant, to, to, to go to a store or to go, to, to go out. Meaning that of course, um, the, 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 the consumer behavior of staying home and doing most of your shopping uh, close to yourself, uh, the, the regional retails and online is continuing. Mm -hmm. Staying on this uh, security uh, topic, uh, Felicitas, you explained that until recently, the younger generation thought that work-life balance was the key uh, in their daily professional life. But now you said that they are rowing back on that. Can you just uh, give us a few explanations on that? Yeah, I, uh, I always wondered what this famous millennial generation that we are so crazy about is so, so different from other generations. And I always try to make sense of that through the Maslow pyramid. I don't know whether our listeners know this pyramid, but it's it, it's a psychological concept uh, that somehow states that um, before you can move up uh, in your needs through higher level needs, let's say um, uh, love and uh, fame and uh, self-actualization, you first have to cover other needs like um security, shelter, food, um, maybe for the millennial generation is internet nowadays, which is the basic uh, need. And uh, this, this uh, concept says you first have to satisfy these needs before you can go up on this in this pyramid. Now, um, what I found interesting was, and I see that a lot with my students too, is that many of these Uh, young people, they started off pretty high on the pyramid when they were born. It's not a post-war generation like our parents who had to really struggle for getting their basic needs met. These, these uh, young people, they started with quite some um, wealth already in their lives. I, I'm talking mainly about uh, people here in Switzerland and in Western European countries. I, I can't generalize that, of course. But um, these young people, they come with uh, desires and with questions into their lives, into the work lives also, um, where you say, wow, these guys already think about uh, larger topics than I did when I started my career, where it was all about making money, uh, creating your own life, uh, buying a car, all these um, were yeah, basic or easy needs. But now the pandemic um, has somehow turned this pyramid around because there is not job security anymore. And so the I would say the Maslow pyramid is not a linear concept where you're moving from bottom uh, to, to the top, um, but you can also jump around. And given the circumstances, you also 
change with your needs. And uh, the young generation, uh, the young people who are now in the job market, they have really trouble finding jobs um, that on the one hand cover their lower needs of having job security, but at the same time, they don't forget that they already are at the top of the pyramid in terms of their thinking. So they're at the same time looking for purposeful jobs. They look for a purpose of finding finding meaning in what they're doing and not only meaning for themselves, but really meaning for the larger world. So I think um, employers, and this is something where luxury brands are coming in again and very high on the desirability uh, scale of uh, young people is because they offer oftentimes a more stable environment, especially those that are uh, not yet stock market listed, um, because they these these companies uh, see a lot of importance of having a stable workforce, taking care of their employees, and at the same time they try to serve a larger goal, which is again at the basic uh, basis of a luxury brand serving specific values, serving a bigger mission. So luxury brands become hot again, young people as employers. But if we stay a bit more on this um, uh, gener Generation Z uh, profile, uh, could you just describe us, uh, Felicitas, what will be the typical profile of a future luxury consumer? Ooh, that's a large question. Um, of course, it's it's very hard to say that there is one profile because I mean, if you segment the market, you can always go down to a segment of one, um, and maybe this is also where the trend is going. When we think further, the idea of the homo luxus and this generation's awareness of more self-actualizing and even spiritual needs, then I think um, it will be important to cater to a need of feeling meaningful in this world and being seen as an individual, not fitting into a bling bling crowd of rich people, but rather catering to the individuality of the person, but at the same time, contributing to a sense-making uh, process in these people's minds through education, through um, edification, through aesthetics, through taking care of their body, of their mental health. Mm. Inspiring ladies, we are coming to a conclusion already now, but I would like to ask you a last questions, perhaps more personal. Uh, what is the soul of luxury for you? We have seen um, during the pandemic, especially that uh, we had a different relation to time. Suddenly we had time to think, time to read, time to disconnect. And I think for me, this was a, a revelation as well. Let's stop running after the time. Luxury is as well to take your time because life is going quickly and you better take care of yourself and value the time that you have. Felicitas? For me, it's um, simple and difficult at the same time. For me, the soul of luxury is the beautiful life. Great. <laughs> Great last words. Thank you so much, Felicitas and Karin. Thank you for the great and informative talk. Good luck for the future and with your podcast. And uh, thank you so much. It was really inspiring. Thank you, Christina, as well, for the really, really amazing and challenging questions. And uh, maybe an important information for our listeners. 
The second episode, which will be on liquid luxury, is already live. And uh, so please don't miss it. And yes, and from my side, many thanks for the very, very good questions, Christina. A pleasure speaking to you, uh, Felicitas, as well. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app. So as such, you will never miss an episode. Speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to Luxury On Air with Karine Segetti and Felicitas Morhart. This podcast is provided to you by Deloitte Switzerland and the Swiss Center for Luxury Research. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can leave us a five-star review. If you're keen to stay up to date on what's trending in the luxury industry, don't forget to subscribe. As always, you can find more information about the current episode in the show notes. We wish you all the best. Until next time.